Amen. What a, what a beautiful, beautiful video there helping us in some small degree to capture the words that Jesus spoke as he hung on the cross. We are in our Lenten series as we are looking at the phrases and the words that Jesus spoke as he lay hanging on that cross, dying. Um, and the words that he spoke, some are in the Gospel of Matthew, some are in Mark, some are in Luke, and some are in John. And what's interesting to me as we look at these gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, and particularly his crucifixion, they don't tell the story exactly the same. Have you ever had an experience where you and a friend did something together and y'all were telling about that experience to maybe a third friend or a family member and you found that you kind of picked up different details, different things were important to you? Uh, yesterday, my daughter, my youngest daughter, Katie, and I, we went to see Beauty and the Beast. Now, I'm not going to lie. At the end, I couldn't talk. I was about to cry because <laughs> I love Beauty and the Beast and have really wonderful memories of watching that with my girls growing up. And uh, so here I am now with my adult daughter watching something that was so special to us as a family and girls. But I bet if Katie and I had come back home and told Mark, my husband, you know, about the movie, we would have focused on different details. We would have focused on those parts of the story that connected with our heart, with our story, with our experience. And today, we are looking at the words that Jesus spoke, uh, words that he spoke to his mother and words that he spoke to his best friend, the disciple John. And what's interesting to me is that none of the other gospel writers mentioned this particular piece of what Jesus said. So I think it's going to be unique, and I think it's going to be unique to John and John's story and John's experience with Jesus and what he wants us to know about Jesus. Now, just to set this up, and I know Haynes and Tim have done a marvelous job of, of really laying the groundwork, helping us to wrap our heads around what it must have been like that day. Jesus has been arrested. There has been the trial. There has been the beating. There has been carrying the cross. He has been nailed. He has been publicly humiliated. All that, that Haynes and, and Tim have, have told us about in the last several weeks. And I don't know about y'all, but for me, I think that I have unfortunately heard the story so many times that it's hard for me to really wrap my head around the horror of that moment. You know, when we look and we see this wooden cross right here, when I look at that, I don't think, oh my gosh. You know, it, it, for me, it's, uh, it's something that I've grown up with and I've seen it in sacred places like here we are today. I heard one, one minister say one time, he said, maybe this will help us wrap our heads around a little bit of the cross. He said, what if in our church today we had an electric chair sitting right here? What if the women in our church wore necklaces with an electric chair? Does that kind of help you a little bit? It's like we would never do that because an electric chair 
that, that's, that's for criminals. I mean, for many who don't believe in the death penalty. It, it, I mean, I, I just can't even talk about how, how, how horrible that is and how we wouldn't want to do that. But one writer said, he said, that is really a very poor comparison. He said, because the electric chair is designed to kill someone, but in the least painful way possible. The cross was public. The cross was designed to be the most humiliating experience possible, the most painful experience possible, the most horrible, horrible experience possible. And I don't know about for y'all, but it's so difficult for me to get my head around that sometimes in my, you know, Macon, Georgia world. But just for a moment, if we can, try to put ourselves there that day. And at the cross, at the foot of the cross, there are soldiers, there are mockers, there are passersby, there are women, and there is one man who is a follower of Jesus, and that is the disciple John, the author of this book. So let's read how John describes this moment. In verse 25, John writes, Standing near his cross were Jesus' mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the follower he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. Now, it's interesting to me. Here he was, gasping for breath, they tell us, in excruciating pain. And in his pain, he is thinking about his mother. Can you imagine how that must have felt for Jesus as he is up there and he is looking at his mother and the, and the compassion that he must have felt for her? You know, he's the oldest son in the family, that feeling of, I've got to take care of my mother. Uh, historians tell us is that Joseph, you know, you've got Mary and Joseph, um, that Joseph was probably dead by this point. He had died and that Mary was a widow. That immense sense of responsibility as he looked at his mother. And in that moment, he turns to John. He, well, he turns to his mother and then he is uh, you know, his hand, he can't point, but I'm guessing he's nodding, but makes eye contact with John and said, here is your son. And then he said to the follower, now it's interesting here in the Gospel of John, John never calls himself by name, but he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Isn't that great? That's, how, that's your identity. That's your self-identity, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And then he said to the follower, here is your mother. And from that time on, the follower, talking about John, took her to live in his home. These words that Jesus spoke, they're not recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but John records them for us. And I don't know about y'all, but as I have lived with this passage this week, and I've read it, and I've prayed over it, and I've thought about it, there are two questions that just would not let me go this week. Um, and the first one was, why John? Why John? 
the scriptures tell us that Jesus had other siblings, that Jesus had brothers. They are mentioned in the New Testament. And so, you know, typically, if someone is going to, you know, if you have a family member that's dying and you are passing on responsibility, it would have been the responsibility of the next son to be responsible for his mother. This would have been Jesus's half-brother. So why, why John? Why not a family member? And then the other question that wouldn't let me go this week was, why now? Why, as you are about to take your last breath, are you taking care of your final arrangements? Um, you know, so often we hear that when someone has been diagnosed with a terminal degree or they know that death is imminent, they are told you might want to get your affairs in order. Y'all remember when my dad, as he was nearing the end of his life and, and his health was beginning to decline, but while his mind was still sharp enough, he knew that he needed to get his affairs in order. I remember he uh, updated his will to make sure that every, there wouldn't be any bickering after he died about who gets what. Well, you know, Daddy told me this. Well, Daddy told me that. Yeah, he got it all in order. He named my sister as the executor, uh, made sure she knew where, you know, the, the will was, made sure she knew about all the bank, you know, bank accounts and, and all the deed to the house, all of those things. He had time, and he kind of got things ready. You know, I've talked to other family members that maybe didn't have that kind of experience. I um, have a close friend who's uh, step, step, no, I'm sorry, it would be her ex-husband um, passed away this year. And he didn't have a will, but he had told one family member they were getting something, but then he told a different family member that they were getting it as well. And you can imagine just the anger and the hurt and the pain. I mean, I don't know that this family will ever get through this because of the ill hurt will and the hurt because this gentleman did not have kind of his affairs in order. And so I can't imagine why would Jesus, one John, why John, and why here almost at the midnight hour? As I've wrestled with these questions this week, I have looked for clues in God's, in John's gospel because I have wondered if John maybe has given us a little bit of a mystery, almost as a teaser, to say, yeah, I wanted you to ask that question. And I've left some breadcrumbs in my gospel that I want you to follow because I think we are going to see some insights that are going to impact our relationship, one to God and two to one another. So, let's dig in to John's gospel. First question, why John? Why John? So, John gives us two scriptures where he mentions Jesus' brothers. And our first one, and we're going to put it up here, is found in John chapter 2. And I'll read it to you, and then I'll walk, through it, walk us through it. It says, What Jesus dear, did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So what he's talking about in John chapter 2, there is a wedding. They run out of wine. Many of you have heard this story. And Jesus turns the water into wine. And John says this was the first of his miracles. And so John tells us here that his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum 
And who does he go with? He goes with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. So we can imagine that his, his brothers very well might have been at that wedding. They might have experienced this miracle. But whether they did or whether they didn't, they are now traveling with Jesus and his disciples as Jesus goes to Capernaum to begin his ministry there. We don't hear from his brothers again until chapter 7. Now, a lot has happened. We have seen all kinds of miracles. We've seen all kinds of ministry, and the crowds are growing around Jesus. He not only has his 12 disciples, but the scriptures indicate that he has other disciples who are following. Think about the inner circle. Think about the bigger circle. But Jesus has just talked to this group about the cross, about his impending death. And he has kind of given them a hard statement. And in chapter 6, the scriptures tell us that many of his disciples, because of the difficulty of his words, that they were no longer following him. So you kind of see a crowd, and then you kind of see some folks following away. All right, now let's pick up here in John chapter 7. And you should have it up there. It says, after this, Jesus, and what is the this? This is this larger group of disciples have just said, uh-uh, we're not following you anymore because we don't like what you're saying because you're kind of meddling in the personal business. That's my translation. But after this, Jesus went around in Galilee, and he did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. So what this means is there was a festival that would be taking place in Jerusalem. It was one of the many festivals that the Jewish nation practiced and celebrated. So there would be this large crowd. There would be people. And so his brothers we are going to assume that they have seen Jesus doing miracles. Maybe they had seen him walk on water. Maybe they had seen him feed the 5,000. Maybe they had seen. We don't know. But it's a lot of fun when you're hanging out with a celebrity and the crowd is big and things are going well. You know, they were probably proud of their big brother. It's like, all right, this is our big brother. I'm, you know, yeah, woo-woo. But now... People are not following anymore because Jesus is beginning to lay the groundwork and begin to prepare people for that one day it's not all about, you know, boat rides and free fish. It's about the cross. And so they tell him, they said, they say, leave Galilee, where we are up here in the north, go to Judea, Jerusalem, so that your disciples there, in other words, he, there, there was a broader group of, of people following, so that they may see these miracles and these works that you do. Because no one who wants to be a public figure acts in secret. Y'all hear that? No one who wants to be a public figure acts in secret. And since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. I think they were proud of their brother. I think they liked the celebrity status. I think they liked the fame. And in their minds, Jesus 
Was maybe going to be the king, overthrow the Roman rulers? We don't know. But that was what they thought it was all about. And then John gives us this next statement. He says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Wait, John, you just said the brothers believed. They saw the miracles. They were like, you want to be a public figure? Go to Jerusalem, blow them all away, do another woohoo miracle, and you're going to be back with everybody loving you. So they believed that he had the ability to do these amazing things. But John gives us this little side note here, but his brothers did not believe. And the, and the Greek there, uh, the tense means it wasn't just like, I don't believe, but it was a continuous attitude of doubt and unbelief. And my question was, as I thought about this, I thought, what was it that they didn't believe? And I believe that what it was, was they didn't believe the true reason that Jesus had come into the world. John tells us, and I, and I love this gospel, there's so many little breadcrumbs, so many, so many threads. But he tells us that Jesus at one point said, Lord, I know what's coming. Father, I know what's coming. And what do I say? Do I say, take me where I don't have to experience this suffering? Um, he says, save me from this hour. And he says, no, the cross is why I came. And so I think for his brothers, they didn't believe that the end of the road for Jesus was going to end up at the cross. And I think maybe they were embarrassed. Maybe they were ashamed. Maybe they were afraid. But for whatever reason, they were not there as Jesus hung on the cross. And I think that John lifting this up, drawing our attention to it, is a sign, a pointer to say, don't forget the reason Jesus came was to die on the cross for our sins. Now we hear that, and I think sometimes we don't really embrace the implications of that in our life. And, and I remember just a couple of stories to illustrate this. I remember years ago, um, I had a friend, a neighbor, and she was pregnant. And she was very worried. We, uh, my kids were little, and you know there was a little group of moms, and we would walk and you know do play dates and things like that. But she had a tremendous amount of anxiety, which you know, I mean, as pregnant moms, you know, there are things to be anxious about. Uh, but she had a tremendous amount of anxiety. Um, you know, was the baby going to be okay? Was it going to have birth defects? Was she going to lose the baby? And I, and one day she and I were talking, and I can remember it so clearly. We were standing in her front yard. And just in a moment of honesty, she told me, and it was just the two of us, and she said, Fran, when I was in college, I had an abortion. And I'm afraid, no, I believe that God's going to do something bad to this baby to punish me for what I did. And the pain and the fear and the the anxiety that she was carrying in her heart and in her soul because her view of God was that he was going to judge her, that he was going to punish her, that he was going to do something to this child because of what she had done. And 
I shared with her that day, and I really don't know if in her heart she embraced it, but, but I shared with her and I said, you know, that's the beauty of the cross. Because when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the scriptures tell us that the punishment for our sin fell on him. Do y'all get that? The punishment for our sin fell on him. That the wrath of God that we deserve fell on Jesus. And you can accept that free gift of salvation and become a child of God and know that you are loved, that you are welcomed, that you are forgiven. But I think so often we can't wrap our heads around this truth. You know, and I, and I wonder, where do we get these crazy ideas from? <laughs> There's a noise up there. <laughs> that's right, that's the thunder. I have some sound effects. But, <laughs> but I wonder sometimes where these ideas come from. Um, a few years ago, the church that I served before coming to Martha Bowman, I was a children's coordinator. And I remember it was Easter, and we had blown out all the stops. I mean, big Easter egg hunt. We had just done our very best to make it fun and exciting in children's church. Uh, it was just huge. And I remember I was outside, and there was a, a, a dad and probably a kindergarten, his, his son, probably about kindergarten, first grade and they had been to church. I mean, we'd done it big. And, and the Easter egg hunt. But anyway, the little boy is playing in the in the, um, the little creek there. It was a water feature. It kind of set up like a little creek, and the children loved to play in it. And the dad was getting irritated with his son. He was ready to go. And he said, come on, son. Come on, boy. I said, let's go. Let's go. And, and you know, kid, he's got water. I mean, <laughs> there's water, of course. He was like a magnet. And so the kid just kind of looked at his dad, and he kept playing. And the dad said, come on, come on. I said, let's go. And you could hear his irritation. Now, please understand, I'm not judging this father because, you know, I'm a mom too. I've had crying kids in the grocery store. I hope nobody judges me. But I could see this guy's irritation kind of rising, and I, and I could feel that. I know what that feels like. You're in public. You want your child to do what you've asked. But then he said something that I just, I didn't know how, I didn't know what to say or what to do. And he said, you better get out of that water. God's going to get you. God's going to get you. He's going to punish you. You better get out now. And I remember in that moment I just froze because I thought, oh, don't say that because God is not this vindictive judge up in heaven ready to just, you know, make something bad happen to us because we've sinned. I mean, I, I know sometimes you know, we're living in the consequences of our sin, and that's one thing. But God is not up there ready to smite us. And that's what I feel like John was drawing attention to here is the real purpose. Jesus' brothers didn't believe that the reason that Jesus came was to die on the cross so that we might be forgiven, that we might be as John who said, I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. Do you think John had never done anything wrong? Of course he had, because we all have. But he knew and he rested so secure in his heart that God Almighty, Jesus, loved him. So I think that is one clue that we get from this passage. Why John? 
The second question that I had this week, and, and there might be other answers, y'all. These are just my conclusions, um, but you might have some more. I don't think I've completely mined the depths of this passage. But the other question is, why now? Why now? And here's my question to us, and of course we don't know the answers because we're just looking at the scripture, asking questions, trying to mine it, trying to dig in, say, God, what would you say to us? But why now? Do you think, I mean, Jesus knew this day was coming. Why, do you think maybe, like, why didn't he have a conversation with Mary and John a month before? Why didn't he have a conversation to say, hey, I want to let you know, here are the plans that I've made, John, would you take care of my mom? You know, but here's what I think. And, of course, this is Fran Magoni's interpretation, so this may or may not be true because this is, you know, the scriptures don't tell us. But a part of me feels like they already had had this conversation. I feel like for a while John knew that he would be the one that took care of Mary. I feel like for a while Mary had known that John was going to be the one that ended up caring for her in her old age. I feel like they had been having this conversation. But in that moment, Jesus is dying. He's looking at his mom. He's seeing her pain. He's seeing John. And I feel like he's saying it one last time. Mom, John's going to take care of you. It's going to be okay. John, take care of my mom. Don't do a good job. Love her like I would have loved her. Care for her like I would have cared for her. And another thing is John telling this. You know, he didn't have to include this detail. You know, he didn't, this was private. He didn't have to tell us about this. But I think he did because he wants us to know what Christian community looks like. I think that he wants to, us to know because at the Last Supper, you know, just a, just a little bit earlier when Jesus had been having that final meal with his disciples, he told them, he said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, love, 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 love one another. And community, Christian community, looks different. Our next scripture here is from 1 Timothy, and I think this gives us a little bit of a clue. He, Timothy writes here, he says, Do not rebuke an older man in the church, but appeal to him as your father. So what, what Timothy is kind of echoing here is that Christian community looks a lot like family. Older men, you're like our dads in the faith. Treat the younger men as your brothers. We're to treat one another like you would your siblings. Treat the older women as mothers. Treat the younger women as sisters in all purity. He's giving us a new paradigm, new language, and he is saying, as I have loved you, love one another like family loves. Yes, you're going to bicker. Yes, you're going to fight. Yes, you're going to get on each other's nerves. But stay in it. Forgive. Love. Care for one another. Because if you do this, the world will know that you are my disciples. This week I was talking to Liz Hammock, who is over our elementary children's ministry. And I said, Liz, what does Christian community look like for you? What does it look like for you? Her family is uh, you know, living up north. Um, so she doesn't have 
her mom, you know, the grandparents here, um, well, on her side of the family. And, um, and I said, what does, what does community look like for you? And she said, my children have grandmothers and grandfathers and aunts and uncles that they are not blood related to, but it's because we're a part of Martha Bowman. And she said, this is my family. This is my family. And she said, I can't imagine parenting right now if I didn't have the support of the people around me. And I think that's what John was saying was, I think that's why he tells us this, is that as you go forth, care for one another, be there for one another. But here's the other thing that I told Liz as we sat in my office and we were talking. I said, Liz, I said, you know what? I said, that's, that's, that's awesome. And that's, that I'm so, I see that in your life. And I said, but you know what you did? You, were in, you have been intentional about putting yourself into places and situations where you could build community. Do you get that? You've got to take sometimes that first step to connect. So what does that look like? I mean, for us, it's like if you only come to church on Sunday at 11 o'clock, there's no way you can build community. There's no way you can have the depth of relationships where you would look to someone and say, that person is like a father in the faith to me. There's no way you're going to look at someone and say, you know what, I feel very maternal towards you. <laughs> I mean, I feel like a mother in the faith. Um, that comes as we do life together. Maybe we serve on a ministry team together. Maybe we, um, you know, we uh, are in Sunday school together, community group. Yesterday, I'll tell you a funny story, and I'm not, I've been I'm not going to say who it was, because I don't want to get this person in trouble, but I will say it was somebody who was on the tech team. I'll just say that. Y'all can fill in the clues. But anyway, we were trying to coordinate getting this video that we just played earlier uh, this morning, and so I, you know, I put the, I'd sent the email with the video link, and then I sent a text, and I said, hey, you know, I want to let you know I sent, I sent the video link. Um, if you don't mind, text me back and let me know you got this, because, you know, sometimes you're wanting to make sure everything's ready for Sunday, and I'm OCD, so I'm just going to own that. But anyway, so I get a text immediately back from this person, and, and, he, go, and he goes, it's a he, and he goes, got, got your email or got your text, I'm driving. Okay, so every mother instinct in me kicks in. What the heck? You're driving. Stop texting. So full mama mode, full mama mode. Text right back, and I was like, do not text and drive. And then I put the little the emoji that has, like, the teeth going, ee, and then it's like, be safe. <laughs> Smiley face. <laughs> but anyway, I was like, oh. But anyway, so I bumped into this person who shall not be named today. And I said, yeah, sorry about that text, but you shouldn't be texting and driving. Then he said, yeah, I got your text, and I felt like you were my mom. <laughs> but that's family. And he's not related to me, but my mama instinct kicked in like nobody's business. And, and he's about the same age as my oldest daughter. And so I want to protect, I want to love, I want to care. And, but we can't do that if we're not in relationship with people. And so I think as we look at John's gospel, and as he tells us this precious, precious, tender, tender moment in the midst of Jesus' agony and pain, and he says, Mom, your son, John, take care of my mom. I think he's letting us know about two things. There may be others. But one is, this is why Jesus came, 
This is why Jesus came, so that we might be forgiven, the power of sin broken, and that we might be united with Christ and God so that we can say, as John said, I am the disciple whom Jesus loved, and that we might love one another. It's interesting to me is that when John is writing a little bit later in his life, he is writing a letter to the churches, and he tells the churches, he said, this church that he's writing to, this is in 1 John, you can read it this afternoon, and he said, brothers and sisters, if we walk in the light, meaning if we are walking in the light of Christ, he said two things are going to happen. He says, the blood of Jesus is going to cleanse us from all of our sin. And he said, and we will have fellowship with one another. I think that's a great summary of this moment that John captures for us. So how do we live this out this week? Um, my encouragement to you is I'm going to close and I'm going to have a prayer. And as I pray, I'm going to have just some time of silence. And if you have an image of God, is someone who is up there, who is mad at you, who is angry with you, who wants, who you're fearful that you might get punished because of the sins of your youth, the sins of your past. I want you to just breathe in and accept and believe that Jesus' death is for you and that you have been cleansed from all sin and you are wrapped up in his righteousness. And the other thing I want to give us a time to pray, I want you to ask, who is it that I could connect with? You know, if you come to church and then you scoot out, let me encourage you, find somebody to go eat lunch with you. You know, Jeff Henson is the best. I get a text about, I don't know, I haven't gotten one in the last couple of weeks, but he'll just shoot me a text and say, hey, we're going to Mellow Mushroom for lunch. Hope you can join us if you can. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. But it made me feel a part of the community when he did that. I feel a part of their family because he reached out to me. Um, who can you invite to lunch today? Who can you say, hey, I want to go a little bit deeper in my relationship with you because we are family. Let's pray.